As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. The C.S. Lewis Podcast with Alistair McGrath. Hello and welcome back to today's show. It's Justin Briley hosting this season of the podcast with Alistair. Today, beginning a new conversation with him on C.S. Lewis, the Inklings, that's the group of friends he met with regularly in Oxford at the Eagle and Child, and also Lewis's thoughts on friendship generally as spelled out in books like The Four Loves. Do rate and review this podcast if you can. It helps others to discover the show. People like Charlie, who wrote this. This find has been a perfect complement to my journey into the Christian faith. I've realised that there is something more to life and I've been determined to embrace God and build a clear understanding of the reasons why, and more importantly, how to take this path. C.S. Lewis was recommended to me by a great Christian friend and it was sound advice. I've already started to read Mere Christianity and this podcast is the perfect companion, particularly on my daily walk. That what's more, C.S. Lewis and indeed Alistair McGrath, delightful man to listen to, have a great deal more to share and help me in my exciting endeavour. I recommend this podcast to all who wish to learn more about the man and indeed the Christian faith. Thank you. Gosh, I couldn't ask for a more lovely review than that, Charlie. God bless you in your continuing Christian journey. So great to know that the uh, the podcast has been part of that. Um, if you enjoy this, by the way, you may enjoy our other podcast from Premier Unbelievable, the Ask N.T. Wright Anything podcast, which I sit down with uh, New Testament scholar N.T. Wright on a regular basis to ask the questions you send in, and my Unbelievable show as well, uh, where we bring Christians and non-Christians together for dialogue and debate. By the way, if you want more from this show, it's cslewispodcast.com you're looking for. We're shortly, though, going to be unveiling a brand new website, bringing all of our podcasts from Premier Unbelievable into one place. Very exciting. Watch this space for more news. And if you want to support the show uh, for the rest of the year from anywhere in the world, you can find links to do that with today's podcast. Hope you enjoy today's conversation. Welcome along to another edition of the podcast. Always a great pleasure to sit down with Alistair McGrath to talk all things C.S. Lewis. Uh, I'm a huge fan of C.S. Lewis myself and occasionally get the opportunity to return to Oxford, Alistair, and walk the streets. Did that uh, a couple of months ago um, and was walking down the road uh, where the Eagle and Child is, which was one of the favourite haunts, of course, of Lewis and the Inklings, uh, and was rather concerned to see it wasn't open. Um, uh, and from what I can gather, sort of effectively closed down during the lockdown do you do you know anything about the fate of that of that well-known landmark and pub in oxford well i i do it's still closed down i mean and we're not quite sure what its future is i mean there are two pubs that are very important for lewis there's the eagle and child there's also the lamb and flag just across the road where they moved actually in in the late 1950s because they got fed up with the eagle and child Uh, and it's also closed and i think it's partly due to the pandemic i think it's also because um they're considering redeveloping the site 
But uh, I'm told uh, that uh, they they hope the eagle and child will reopen. But um, I, if you are a, if you want to visit Oxford to, to specifically go to the eagle and child, I suggest you give them a call first to make sure it's going to be open. Yes, yes. I mean, for for many fans of Lewis and Tolkien, indeed, um, you know, it would be a crying shame if if the pub didn't reopen in some form. You know, you can. I know when it was open, you could sit at, you know, more or less the same part of the pub, maybe not the exact table that Lewis sat at, but, you know, there's a blue plaque and everything else to to mark the moment. Um, And I know it's very much part of the the C.S. Lewis tourist trail. Um, Well, let's let's hope that uh, that it does, you know, reopen. I I think I saw some sort of notice suggesting that there was some sort of brewery that was it was changing hands into. Who knows? We'll see. Um, Let's talk about. Lewis and the Inklings, first of all. Um, first of all, for those who don't know, tell us what the Inklings was, who it was comprised of, and, and what it was for. Well, the Inklings was a kind of um, discussion and support group. It was basically originally Lewis and his brother, Warney and Tolkien, and it gradually expanded to include others. Um, all men, I have to say. I mean, some books suggest that Dorothy L. Sayers was a member. She, she wasn't really, but she knew many of the people in the Inklings. And basically, I think it, it's best seen as a group which had two functions. One was social. They'd meet regularly in the Eagle and Child to chat. Um, and then a more serious thing which took place on Thursday evenings, which is when they would meet as a group and talk about works that were under development. So if you like, meeting together to chat, meeting together seriously to talk about writings. And I think, in my view, um, The Lord of the Rings is significantly shaped by some of those conversations. Not The Chronicles of Narnia. That was not discussed at the Inklings, although Lewis did once uh, pass round the proofs of the Lion, the Wits and the Wardrobe at the, the social meeting of the group. But they, they didn't actually discuss that particular set of books. So, so just tell us who who was was part of this circle, as you say, all all male, and perhaps that's you know just a fact of the kind of society culture, you know, the the Oxford academia that Lewis moved in at the time. But but who who were the the, the, the typical members that made up the Inklings over the years? Obviously, there's Lewis himself. Now, Lewis had a brother, Warney, uh, and Warney actually is a very significant um, person in his life, um, and really this plays into the whole this, the whole nature of friendship actually, because Lewis and Warney were very important for each other. They were both writers. Um, Warney was very interested in French history and wanted to write on that theme. And then, of course, there was J.R.R. Tolkien, who Lewis had got to know. And then others began to drop in, Hugo Dyson. And then Charles Williams, of course, became a member during his time in Oxford. The Oxford University Press decided that they would move some people from their London office back to Oxford during the Second World War. Charles Williams was one of those. And he became a member of the Inklings during the Second World War. So basically, these are people who didn't just enjoy reading literature. They are people who wanted to write as well. I think the key thing to take away from this is this was a critical yet supportive group of people who all believed that Christianity was important, that literature was important, and saw themselves as trying to encourage each other to write and help each other write better. So if you like, it's it's a, a group of critical friends who would help each other in their writing vocations. I mean, we'll we'll talk about Tolkien at, in more length in a, in a separate episode. But um, give us give us a little sort of uh, thumbnail sketch of Hugo Dyson and Charles Williams and the sorts of writings. Um, why why Lewis counted them among his you know close friendship group and and what sort of influence they had on him. 
Well, Hugo Dyson um, is not really a well-known figure. Um, I think that the important point to appreciate is that actually Dyson played a very important role in helping Lewis come to Christianity because this happened um, in September 1930 and when Dyson and Tolkien together had a long walk around uh, Addison's walk in Magdalen College and that was actually really what moved Lewis towards uh, coming to faith. So that's very, very important. Charles Williams, I think, is, is very well known. Charles Williams, I think, is often referred to as the third inkling, uh, Lewis being the first, Tolkien the second. Uh, Williams was a very able poet and novelist who um, was actually employed as a literary editor by Oxford University Press, but his real heart lay in actually writing stuff himself. And he um, wrote some very important works. For example, in, in Dante interpretation, he wrote The Figure of Beatrice, which has actually stood the test of time very well. So I think rather than go through all of them, the key point is all of them liked reading and they wanted to write as well. And the key point is to sharpen each other up, to, to encourage each other and to provide a kind of um, group culture that would help each of them improve their game. When they came to the Inklings, as you say, sometimes it was purely on a social level. Um, you know, they would have been there, you know, with presumably uh, their pints of ale, smoking pipes and and then bringing their latest perhaps manuscript or, or a chapter of a book and so on um and um and what you know if you could imagine yourself cast yourself into the eagle and child back then what would the kind of conversation have looked like between them of an average evening do you think Alistair well, I think, again, we need to come back to this point, that the, the meetings of the eagle and child were social. They'd be talking about what they were doing mm. um, and things like mm. that. And they might pass around proofs or something like that. But the serious literary discussions were over a pot of tea mm. on Thursday mm. evening. There was no alcohol. It was serious business. Yeah. And yeah. someone would read what they had written and others would critique it. And in my view, that, that was actually the very serious business. Now, sadly, that did not continue. I think that really um, in the late 1940s, that aspect of the inkling ceased and it just became a social group who met on, um, I think it was Tuesday, and then they moved to Mondays because Lewis had to go to Cambridge. So they had a Monday morning and then Lewis go to Cambridge that afternoon. But the key point again is this importance of... Um, uh, keeping in touch with each other, stimulating each other, which is really important. In my view, the Inklings is that is most important, late 30s, early 40s. So those those were certainly a group of friends that, that Lewis, you know, enjoyed socialising with and, you know, obviously had a great influence upon him, not least, you know, Dyson and Tolkien in his own conversion as well. Who were sort of, would you say, were Lewis's wider circle of friends, both in Oxford and uh, and beyond Oxford as well? Well, I think that's a very good point, because very often we, we, we present Lewis as if he knew the people in the Inklings and that was it. But actually, he had quite a wide circle of friends in Oxford and beyond. So let, let's look at some of those. I think the one that stands out for me is Austin Farrer, who was based in Oxford, um, was a, a very interesting writer, partly philosopher, partly New Testament scholar, very important person in Lewis's life. In fact, he was one of the two witnesses at Lewis's civil wedding in Oxford in 1956 to um, <coughs> Joy Davidman. So you can see he played a really important role. Now, now Farrow was a very able writer. And in fact, 
Um, many would, would say that um, Austin Farrow took on C.S. Lewis's role as an apologist after Lewis's death. So I think that's a, an important point to make. But interestingly, Lewis also knew his wife very well. This was Catherine Farrow, who wrote detective novels. And actually, they're quite good detective novels. Uh, but there are also other people. I mean, Dorothy L. Sayers is very important. She and Lewis maintained a robust correspondence, which is actually very interesting. They didn't agree with each other on a lot of things, but they did agree agree on the importance of Christianity and the importance of literature mm -hmm. as a means of, in effect, presenting Christianity. And, of course, there was the poet Ruth Pitter, who actually many people thought Lewis might one day marry, but nothing came of that. So Lewis is very well connected. He has lots of friends, and they are people who, like him, enjoy Christianity, enjoy literature, and can see a way of bringing them together. Mm. And and what form did that take? I mean, for instance, Dorothy L. Sayers, um, was it primarily a friendship that was conducted via letters because people didn't always have the opportunity to be together in person? And I know Lewis was, you know, a prodigious letter writer. So w was that the way a lot of his friendships were maintained through through writing letters? A lot of them were maintained through letters. And I think in the case of Dorothy L. Sayers, that was certainly the case. Uh, and I think that, uh, you know, th this this may strike us as being strange, but actually a lot of this friendship became very important during the Second World War when travel was difficult within Britain. You know, there, there was rationing, um, the trains were not running as regularly as they might, people did not we're not able to use cars because of petrol rationing. So actually, letters really were very, very important. And actually, Lewis stands in a long tradition of writers, going back to, to Erasmus, you know, where correspondence was a means of not simply keeping in touch, but developing ideas. So I think that we, we need to say how important Lewis's letters are, um, both as ways of helping us to understand him as a person, but also as a way of sharing those ideas with privileged people who he regards as being important, who might be able to help him to fine tune them. Mm. And, and and you've said in a previous podcast that you, you, you've somehow regretted that Lewis didn't keep a diary because it would have been useful to, to know more about his life. But at least he did write an awful lot of letters. And the fact that we have been able to obviously accumulate a number of those helps to give us another sort of insight into his life and character and thinking, doesn't it? It certainly does. And they are very interesting. The, ones, the later ones are not that interesting, I have to say, because Lewis had to write so many of them that they weren't as long and reflective as some of the earlier ones are. But nevertheless, particularly during the period when Lewis is finding his own way during the 1920s, early 1930s, I think they are very, very important. If you like, as a window into Lewis's soul, what he's reading, what he's thinking, what he hopes to do, it's all very important stuff. Mm. I mean, he keeps up correspondence as well, not just with his peers and contemporaries in academia, but but also his childhood friends as well. Uh, I think Arthur Greaves is, is someone that he continues to, to sort of keep in touch with over the years. Um, tell us about some of those friendships from childhood which, which were the ones that sort of continued as, as it were for Lewis and what what did they mean to him yeah I think you already mentioned one of them Arthur Greaves the other of course is his brother Warnish let's talk about both of those because they are very important um Arthur Greaves really is someone who Lewis came to know I think um out of a sense of obligation, he knew that Arthur Greaves was ill. He went to visit him, not expecting to enjoy it, but because it was the sort of thing he felt he ought to do. And uh, he found him reading 
um, in bed, and it was a book about myths of the Norsemen. And, and Lewis said, "Hey, do you like that?" And um, Grieve said, "Yeah." And and that began the friendship. It was it was a very much friendship as sharing something really important. And of course, they they developed a quite intimate relationship, which actually continued throughout their lives. Um, Lewis's last letter to um, Arthur Grieve, written just before he died in 1963, is actually very very moving in my view. It's a that kept going over many years and Lewis would say in his letters to Greaves things he would say to nobody else so in that in that case and I think in that case only Luther is Lewis is really using a friend as a kind of sounding board I've got a really big problem what do you think I should do and it's very very revealing and those letters were never meant to be published but they were eventually mm -hmm. I think it's very very important mm -hmm. With um, his brother, that's really interesting because, of course, his brother played a very big role in Lewis's imaginative development because they they lived in this big house in Belfast, um, loads and loads of books lying everywhere, and they would play imaginative games. They would read these books. It was very, very important. And you could say that Warney, in effect, catalyzed Lewis's imaginative development. And, of course, he also looked after his brother. They went to the same schools together. Warney was slightly older, but, but Lewis um, was sometimes around with, with him together at schools. And he kind of would be the older brother who looked after the younger brothers. And, of course, they both served in the British Army during the First World War. And when Lewis was badly wounded, his brother made this amazing motorcycle journey across you know, shell-pocked territory to try and find his brother and make sure he was okay. So they, they were really very important. In fact, actually, uh, when they bought the kilns in Oxford, the kilns was where um, Lewis settled down in the 1930s. It was owned by Mrs. Moore, but um, Lewis and his brother had lifelong shares in the house. That, that in effect, became a way of recreating their childhood mm, mm. and rekindling their joint interest in literature. So th those are two very mm. important people for Lewis. I, I mean, many people just know Warney as, you know, Lewis's brother. What, what were his own interests? And, you know, um, I, I understand he, he was essentially a historian of sorts. He was a historian and he was very interested in French history, particularly 18th century French history. And that wasn't something that Lewis himself found particularly interesting, but it was um, an important subject. And in fact, Warney did write a book on that topic and it got published. And it was one that was discussed by the Inklings. So you can see that this was important. I think... The problem with Warney is that um, it's a very familiar pattern. The one who became a, who was a support for Lewis mm. at many critical points during his early life became a burden in older age. And part of that's because Warney became alcoholic. And I think that Lewis found that very, very difficult to cope with. He really, in fact, acted as a carer for his brother. And that was, I think, a, a bit sad. But certainly it was a very important relationship, which again, kept going right throughout his life. I know that in childhood, they developed a sort of imaginary world I think that was called Boxen. Um, was, was this in any way a sort of, um, you know, early incarnation of, of what would become Narnia for Lewis in his later writings? It's very tempting to see that. I mean, I've looked at the Boxen um, works and, and you can see a rich imagination. And both Warney and Lewis um, in their childhood played around with these imaginary worlds um, in which railways actually played quite an important role. And... Um, that was, I think, 
if you like, a stimulus to Lewis. But I have to say, he did leave Boxen behind quite quickly. It was this realization that the imagination was really important, that that really emerged, and then began to take different forms than those which he he developed during his childhood. And when it comes to Arthur Greaves, it was this common love of mythology um, and so on that that sort of was the the spark of their friendship initially. How how did that friendship develop? Um, uh, I, I mean, I, I, you know, we know, for instance, that that in the end, um, it, I think Arthur Greaves was gay um, and that he confided in Lewis about that to some extent. Again, none of this would either of them would have assumed would ever be made public. But but what how, how did that sort of um, play out in terms of their friendship and the way they encouraged and supported each other? I think it meant that Lewis felt he could talk to Arthur Greaves about things that he couldn't talk about with anybody else, including his brother. And I think it's because they they developed quite a a close friendship during their time in um, Belfast. Um, They're both about the same age. They would talk about um, erotic issues. We know that. Um, They would talk about literature. So actually, there was a sense that we, we can share whatever we want to. And that's why when Lewis got involved in this quite complex relationship with Mrs. Moore, who was the mother of uh, an officer cadet who was training with Lewis at Keeble College in Oxford in 1917 to early 1918. I mean, really, that that, that became quite an important issue because um, Lewis could talk to Arthur about the kind of issues he was facing here, that, that his complex relationship with this woman who seemed to be playing an increasingly important role in his life and actually would become something of a mother figure to him. And again, that was a very good example of a friendship where Lewis felt here was someone who I can share these things with and seek advice, but I need to share things. And this is someone who really I can talk to about things that otherwise I just couldn't. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of the podcast. If you want more about the show, go to our show page, cslewispodcast.com. And if you want to support the show from anywhere in the world, you can find links with today's podcast. Next time, I'll be continuing this conversation with Alistair about C.S. Lewis and his friendships. Until then, God bless. See you next time. Welcome to Cape and Ray Hall, nestled in the beautiful landscapes between England's national parks. As a Bible school, we offer short-term courses aimed at fostering your spiritual growth and living in a community. Our historic manor house has something for everyone. You can enjoy indoor and outdoor adventures, connect with students from around the world, and learn how to deepen your relationship with Jesus Christ. Search Cape and Ray England for more information.